Mark Twain, not my friend, (laughs) said, the lack of money is the root of all evil. Now, you may be familiar with 1 Timothy 6.10, which says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But Mark Twain thought he could improve on the word of God. And so in a little bit of satire, said the lack of money is the root of all evil. Which I think that basically sums up how basically we're tempted to think so often. Our relationship with money and possessions is complicated. If you're like me, every day you face an opportunity, an ad, a, a moment where you think, oh, if I had this amount of money or if I had this specific item, my life would be better. That's every time I'm in Costco. I think that every time there's a new item. I think, yes. This was made for my good, and I need that item, right? Of course, we don't just see things in a store that we want. We get advertisements that now magically appear on our phones. Why? Because Alexa's listening to you. She's listening, right? And so you might talk to a friend about that that fire pit for your backyard, and all of a sudden you're getting ads for a fire fire pit on your phone. What wizardry is this? I don't even know. But anyway, we, we have that temptation. If I had this, then I would be... Well, more satisfied. I would be happier if I had the newest fill in the blank. See, the lack of money is the the root of all evil, isn't it? No, it's not. And in fact, that same false kind of thinking is actually confronted in the Word of God in many places. One lesser known place is in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, where basically summarizing a godless worldview, the author of Ecclesiastes writes, Uh, here, money is the answer for everything. And of course, the point of Ecclesiastes is that's not true. Money is not the answer for everything. But man, we are tempted to think that way, especially as we live in a materialistic and money-obsessed culture. Money isn't the answer for everything. The lack of money is not the root of all evil. And Jesus took great care to instruct us about this very issue in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doesn't want you wondering how you should think about money or what you should think about money or how you should think about possessions or what you should think about your possessions. He wants you to actually proactively honor him with your attitude towards money and what we own. Now, anytime we start talking about money, it can get a little awkward. Good, right? Because we want to apply the word of God to where we live, not just in generalities, but with the specifics. And so I've got two accountants waiting out there for after the service. And no, no. But you have to ask the question this morning, how do I think about money? How do I think about my possessions? What's my attitude towards my retirement account or, you know, the resources that I have? And you may come into a passage like this and think, well, Pastor Ryan, I don't have a lot of money, so this isn't really for me. And of course, that's not true, is it? Because even those who don't have a lot of money can still be tempted to worship money. And live for money. So this is not about wealth or poverty. This is about how we think about the resources that we have access to right now. At the end of the day this morning, we're going to learn how we should think about money and finances from Jesus' words here in Matthew 6, 19. So if we pick it up in verse 19. Jesus has been teaching us to beware of practicing our righteousness before men 
And as he has warned us about that, he's warned us that if you, if you are in it just for show and you want people's applause, that's all you're going to get, right? That's your only reward. But of course, his kingdom citizens live for a greater reward, a heavenly reward. And so that general topic leads naturally into a discussion of, well, let's start, let's talk a little bit about money. Let's address the issue of money and finances, we find this basic instruction in verses 19 to 21 where he just tells us with, a, with a, a negative and a positive. Watch verse 19. Jesus commands us, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus immediately confronts here the primary issue that we may be hoarders when it comes to money and possessions you got to think about it. In the first century, uh, treasures, right, your, your value financially would have been literally kept in some kind of a box, probably in your home, hidden away. And in that box, what would you put? You would put precious metals like gold or silver, right? And then you would put uh, precious, often fabrics, like very expensive fabrics that maybe were, were traded and came from the Far East. And so you have these things that are of high value, and you put them in that box. The problem with putting them in that box is that in that box, a moth gets in there. And, that, and those precious fabrics are gone. Or a little moisture gets in there, and all of a sudden, we've got corrosion. And now those metal trinkets that you had that were worth so much, now they're not worth as much. Or even worse, somebody else knows where your box is. And so they break into your home, and they take your box, or they take what's in your box. Jesus just cautions us here. Jesus says, listen, if you're, all you're doing in your life is focusing on how much money you have and how much stuff you have, and you're amassing this treasure, he's like, don't forget that all that treasure is transitory. It's temporary. It will not hold its value forever. And yes, it can be stolen. And yes, it can naturally just lose value over time. Jesus says, be careful that you're not living only for money. Right out of the gate, Jesus says, watch out, be careful. But then notice in verse 20, he gives us the positive corollary. He says in verse 20, instead, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Of course, Jesus now pushes his listeners to think about uh, their attitude towards uh, leveraging their resources on this earth he pushes them to think in a totally different way. He's like, there actually is a box that you can put your stuff in that lasts forever. But it's not a literal box in your house. Jesus says you need to store up treasures in heaven, which is a really uh, enigmatic, kind of hard to understand saying. What does he mean, treasures in heaven? Is there like a secret bank for Christians that we can like put our money in, that we can have access to when we get to heaven? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, my citizens invest in eternity. My citizens live their lives, kingdom citizens, Christians, followers of Jesus, live their lives investing in eternity, seeing that there's more to life than just making a lot of money, and there's more to life than just having the nicest things. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Put your energy, your focus, right? And yes, your dollars and your possessions. Leverage those for God's eternal purposes for his kingdom. Why? Verse 20. Well, because neither moth nor rust destroy in heaven, and nobody's thieving in heaven, right? There's an eternal investment here that he says is bulletproof. It, it cannot lose value. And so as Jesus explains this, he challenges his, his hearers, and he challenges us to think in much, uh, much bigger terms 
with regard to how we think about money and possessions. He's like, there's a lot more to life than just he who dies with the most toys wins. Don't think that way. No, store up yourself treasures in heaven. Now, uh, listen, it's only recently that we've had uh, these TV shows that show uh, that people, uh, the shows are called hoarders or whatever, and they show people's houses and they have all these things in them. And I know you sit there and judge those people, but I know there's a room in your house that looks a little like that. I know there's a drawer in your house that looks like that, right? So just be careful, all right? But the fact that such a show exists, it, that's not, it doesn't mean that, that hoarding money or possessions is a new problem. It's not a new problem. It's an ancient problem. In fact, it started in the garden because the problem there is the problem of sin. And here Jesus says, my kingdom citizens, they, they don't invest significantly in just their earthly fortune. And they certainly don't tie their value to what they own. Notice in verse 21, as Jesus summarizes the main idea here, he cuts right to the heart. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we've all quoted that verse or heard that verse. We're familiar with it. But what Jesus is saying is, when you value earthly finances, when you value your possessions, and that's all you care about, that's all you care about. And so it's like a a cycle there where when we invest our money in merely earthly things, then our hearts are tied to earthly things, which means we'll invest more money in earthly things. And it's this downward spiral that happens. But Jesus says, no, no, instead of that, if you would actually direct your physical resources, your money and your possessions, you think, how can I use them for God's glory to advance his kingdom? Now your heart is tied to his kingdom. Now your heart is tied to something much better, something that lasts forever, something that cannot lose value. Kingdom citizens invest in eternity. Now, let's be really clear about one thing about how this relates to the gospel, and then we'll talk about how we apply it, okay? Jesus is not saying, everybody hear me very clearly, Jesus is not saying, if you, if you give money to the church, you will get into heaven. That is not the message. The, the, the Sermon on the Mount is not a, a message on how to become a citizen of God's kingdom, The Sermon on the Mount is a description of those who have already trusted in Christ. They have put their faith in him. He says, this is what my kingdom citizens are like. This is what spiritually healthy people are like. So the message is not, if you spend your money right, then you will get into heaven. Okay. In some ways, it would be a lot simpler that way if you could just write a check. But that's not how it works. And praise God, it's not. Because the gospel isn't limited to a particular socioeconomic status. Jesus is saying, if you've trusted in me, your attitude towards money and possessions will change. If you become a Christian, your attitude towards money changes because kingdom citizens invest in eternity. Now, let's talk about how this might apply to us today specifically. First, what does storing up earthly treasures look like today? Since you probably don't have a big box with silver or gold in your house. You may want to have that in your house based on how the markets are performing. That's up to you, okay? So some people actually do that. Uh, But I I thought one commentator said it really nicely. He said, you know what? You know what this looks like today? It's when we're possessed by possessions. When we're we're just consumed by our possessions. So what does that look like? Phones, right? Fashion items, uh, cars, houses, When our existence is solely focused on having the next iPhone, the next PS system, the next, you know, dress that came out off the the fashion show in Milan or Paris or wherever, right? If that's all we're living for, Jesus says, you've missed it. You've missed it. And so we still could struggle with, with tying our value to possessions. 
Storing up earthly treasures means we have a worldview that ignores eternity, where we never, we never think, you know, what does eternity mean for how I should live today? How I should spend my money today? How I should use my possessions today? We never think that. And in our culture, uh, I think one of the dangers of having so much access to entertainment, especially media, is that we can basically just be drunk on entertainment, which means we never think about eternity. We're too busy binge-watching the latest show. And so the worldliness and earthiness could be just in the fact that we're distracted and we just never stop to think, you know, how, how should I invest in God's kingdom? Well, I can't be bothered for that because they just dropped a new season of whatever, right? Storing up earthly treasures today looks like maybe an obsession with the market and values in the market, especially because we live in a wealthier culture, right? There's investment, a lot of investing going on. And so we're watching our 401ks and we're watching how stocks are performing. And for many of us, that's a struggle where every day, our day, you know, our mood is dependent on how stocks performed that day or how our our portfolio is doing. And all this, Jesus cautions us and he says, don't store up your treasures on earth. You need to be careful here. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven. Well, how do we do that today? Well, of course, primarily it's an attitude. And here I think we can circle back to the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer, where Jesus teaches us to pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice the connection between heaven and earth there. Jesus says, I'm recognizing, we're recognizing as disciples that we need to grow in doing God's will while we're on earth, while recognizing we're not from around here, that our home is in heaven with the Lord. And so we live differently. So there's an attitude difference. Of course, at the base level, it just means that we steward our money and possessions for God's purposes. We think, how would God, how does God's will apply to my use of this money? Or my possessions. It means we use resources to meet needs. And again, it means we're not not, uh, tying our satisfaction or even our happiness, our circumstantial happiness, to how much money we have or don't have, or what possessions we have or don't have. Of course, you might think, well, if I I don't worry about my money, if I don't focus on that, well, who's going to take care of my needs? Well, Jesus has a lot to say about that, and we're going to hit that next week, okay? But here's a hint. It has to do with faith. It has to do with trusting him and honoring him with our priorities as we spend money. Of course, in the gospel itself, though, we actually have eternal provision. And this is where it gets weird, because we think, I really need to focus on earthly treasures because that's what I need the most. And Jesus says, no, that's not what you need the most. In fact, it's a lie that that's what you need the most. You can live a very godly, content, satisfied life and be poor, and that's okay. But what we realize when we read the rest of Scripture is that in Christ, what do we find? We actually find that we have been given not just forgiveness of our sins. And remember, that's how the gospel works. When we repent of our sins and we put our faith in Jesus, we're forgiven right then. That's it, right? We're forgiven of our sins. But we're also gifted an eternal inheritance that we will enjoy forever, The riches of Christ, they're called in the New Testament. You remember in 1 Peter, he talks about how we've been born again to this living hope and to an inheritance that that never loses value. Peter says it's an inheritance that is imperishable, so it doesn't perish. It's undefiled. It can't be tainted, right, or lose value. And it's unfading. It's not going to gradually lose value over long periods of time. And he says it's kept in heaven for you. Which means there is a security box with your name on it in heaven that has 
that has an inheritance of infinite value. And Jesus just says, don't forget about that. That's actually what transforms our existence. That's what we're looking for. That's where satisfaction really comes from. And that's what he's gifted us in the gospel. All the while, Satan is whispering in your ear, yeah, but wouldn't it be nice to have more money? Wouldn't it be nice to have that nice two-car garage? You know, the iPhone 53 is finally going to be the one that is going to satisfy you forever, you know, right? PS 27, that's the one that's going to change your life. But to invest in, inter- in eternity, kingdom citizens invest in eternity. To invest in eternity conflicts with, I'm going to call it miserly stinginess, okay? Miserly stinginess. Watch verse 22 and 23 as Jesus continues. Same topic, okay, different, different uh, illustrations. So we have two treasures before. Now we have uh, uh, two different eyes. Verse 22, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Okay, let's talk about this for a minute. First of all, the eye being the lamp. Remember, a lamp gives light to show you the room, the path, whatever, right? where you should go. So here he's saying your eye is giving you direction. And in this case, he contrasts a healthy eye, or some translations, a genuine eye, a singular eye, uh, with a bad or evil eye. And in the Old Testament, the term evil eye is used to refer to stinginess. It's used in in three or four places in the Old Testament to refer to stinginess. A wicked eye is a stingy eye. You kind of think of, I mean, this is how I think of it. You know, you think about Scrooge, right? And you think about Ebenezer Scrooge and somebody asking him for money and he squints those eyes. Like, there's no way these eyes are giving you anything, right? You know, it's like, like that's like the, that's the the wicked eye or the bad eye. It's an eye of selfish greed that says, I'm not going to share. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to be generous, And so here Jesus contrasts that eye with a healthy eye or a singular eye. I think that that genuine eye he's talking about is the opposite of stinginess, which is generosity. Jesus says, my followers are generous with their money. They are generous for my kingdom and they are generous to meet needs. And then note how he describes, though, that how the effect of that kind of an eye. He says, if your eye is healthy, verse 22, your whole body will be full of light. That is a beautiful picture of spiritual health. Jesus says, when you're generous with what God has given you, you'll be spiritually healthy. It's a good thing. But if your eye is bad or or wicked or evil, if you're not generous, if you're stingy, if you're selfish, if you're greedy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then he just kind of notes, if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Greed and selfishness, again, as we said earlier, it kind of leads you down this this downward spiral of sin where often greed and selfishness will then lead to other sins because you're willing to, you're willing to sin to get more for yourself and you're willing to sin so you don't have to give away what you think belongs to you. And so you kind of cycle downward and Jesus says, man, if that's you, if, if, if you are greedy and selfish with your attitude towards money, it says you are not spiritually healthy. There's darkness in you. And how deep does that darkness go? He just exclaims it. Just like it's, we can't even tell how deep that darkness runs. We don't often think of you know, lack of generosity as that big of a problem. But Jesus says that's a huge marker 
of spiritual sickness, right? Of sin. That means that kingdom generosity is a sign of spiritual health. Kingdom generosity is a sign of spiritual health. This applies to the wealthy or the poor and everyone in between. And let me just make a couple specific applications here of of ways we can be generous with God's money, with his kingdom in view. First, and I think most obviously, kingdom citizens faithfully, generously, sacrificially, and regularly support the work of the church financially. This is assumed in the New Testament. It's stated point blank in 2 Corinthians 9. It's stated and assumed in 1 Timothy 5, 18, as well as in passages like this. So the idea is if you're a follower of Jesus, you're gathering with the church, right? As you gather with your church, the local expression of the body of Christ, you will leverage your finances for the success and advancement of the church. And praise God, our church has a good history of doing that. But every day there's a temptation to think, you know what, I'll just keep a little bit more for myself rather than invest it in God's kingdom. I'm so, uh, I'm, I'm so uh, thrilled to have the Watleys with us this morning and to get the report about what God is doing so far away. But you realize that if we are not generous with what God has given us, that kind of work cannot happen. I mean, it literally cannot proceed without dollars. And so there's, there's this recognition that kingdom citizens have an eye, an eye that is healthy, that looks to the kingdom, that invests in eternity, and recognizes the best investment I can make is not in a blue chip stock, but it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ advancing. Now, speaking practically, we have to, of course, give with wisdom. Giving generously to the church does not mean we don't meet our needs. You need to pay your bills. You need to set aside money for the needs that are coming up for you and your family, right? You need to be uh, responsible in how you handle your finances, but at the end of the day, God's kingdom work is not a, an afterthought in your financial list of priorities. It's got to be the first thought in your thinking about financial priorities. Tell that to your accountant. See what he says this year. Right? I want to carve out some more space to give money to the advancement of the gospel worldwide. And then take a picture of his face. Okay? And then text it to me. All right? well, a second way we can live out this reality is as kingdom citizens, investing in the worldwide advancement of the gospel, not just in our own local church. So that's part of this discussion, right? We as a church leverage some of our resources worldwide, but you don't have to do that solely through our church. We also can do that outside of the church. That's basically in addition to the supporting the local church, you could say, you know what? I want to get behind what's going on with the Wadleys in Indonesia. Or I want to get behind what's going on with, with the Gulf Seminary in Dubai or wherever else, right? So I want to, I want to invest some of my dollars in those, in those projects. And so you can do that uh, outside of the church. That's normal, regular, Jesus follower, Christian living, right? To do that with our finances. A third way we can live out this kingdom generosity as a sign of spiritual health is viewing our possessions as being on earth for God's glory and purpose. All of your possessions. I've told you this story several times. I'll tell it again because I love it. All right. I was uh, just graduated from high school. I was serving as a youth intern at our home church with my youth pastor. We were prepping for youth camp. We were driving the kids up to summer camp for a week. And uh, I'll never forget, I was sitting in the office with the youth pastor. He picks up the phone and he calls this guy in the church, Dave. And he says, hey, Dave, God needs his truck for youth camp. God needs his truck. What was Dave going to say? No. It was the pastor calling him, telling him God needed his truck. And by his truck, he meant with a capital H, right? Because Dave's truck actually belonged to the Lord, and he was just a temporary steward of it, right? 
That's, I, I just love that moment because I think it transforms the way you view all of your possessions. Maybe rather than thinking the, of them as your possessions, maybe just think they belong to the Lord. And I am stewarding them for a while. Some possessions you have, you'll steward for a long while. Others you won't. But you go, how can I use this possession, this dollar, right? This, this vehicle, this tool, how can I use this to advance God's glory and leverage it for his kingdom? You know, it does change your perspective when we say his kingdom comes first. Of course, fundamentally, kingdom generosity also sets aside funds to meet needs of others. Sets aside, we set aside funds to meet the needs of others. If, uh, if you're not sure where others have needs that can be met, we can help you with that. Because as a church, we are made aware of many of those needs. So you might think, well, Pastor Ryan, we don't live in the inner city. It's not like there's people sleeping on the streets. That's true, but there is poverty around us. And there are financial needs in our community. And by God's grace, we can meet those needs and give him glory. Now, we also have to ask the question, how, how do I know if I'm evil-eyed here? How do I know if I'm struggling with this miserly stinginess, okay? Um, well, first of all, you could ask this question. Does God only get my financial leftovers? If God only gets your financial leftovers, there's a good chance you have an evil eye. Because you're prioritizing yourself over, the, over his kingdom. You might be evil-eyed if you're obsessed with keeping up with the Joneses or the Smiths or the whoever they are, right? If you're obsessed, you're, you're watching them on social media and you're seeing their new car or their new house or their whatever, and you're thinking, that, I'd have to have that. I want that. I want what they have. Like, they look so happy. It's, it's fake happy. Those aren't even their kids, but anyway, you know, on, on social media. But like, you, know, you, you see that artificial presentation of happiness, and you think, oh, I, I need that. I want that. And so then you're spending your time comparing yourself to others, trying to keep up with the neighbors, rather than thinking, how can I honor God with my resources? If that's the way you live, trying to keep up with your neighbors, you are the center of your thinking with regards of your money. And you want to look good. You want everybody else to see you looking good. Again, if, you're, if you have that, that wicked eye, you don't meet the needs of others with your money. You keep that money just for yourself exclusively. And you might see patterns of sin related to greed in your life, like deceiving others to get more money. We might do that in business deals. We might intentionally deceive someone or abuse someone, right? take advantage of them in order to make more money. Charge extra for a product or a service because you know they have more money. Right? And so you can make more money off of them. You might justify sin financially. You might justify uh, cutting corners or, again, being immoral in your ethic with regards to finances and just think, well, I need it more than they do. Of course, you could be a, it could be as simple as lying on your taxes just to keep more money. Right? You think, I'm going to do that. All those could be signs that you're struggling with that wicked eye. And again, there's a downward spiral on that kind of sin. And Jesus says, how deep is that darkness? You don't want to know. You want, that, you want that eye that's healthy, that's genuine, and that has its focus on God and his glory. And that will clear up your attitude towards possessions and finances. At the end of the day, this is not a financial issue. This is a worship issue. Note the third section here as Jesus explains further what this actually means for us. It's in verse 24. So we had two treasures, and then we had two, two eyes. In verse 24, we have two masters. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. 
since he will, he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, remember, Jesus is saying this in a, in, in a culture in the Roman Empire in the first century where slavery was very common. And so in the realities of slavery, almost every single slave had only one master or one owner, right? And if there was some kind of multiple ownership of a slave, it inevitably resulted in an awkward uh, difference in allegiance between that, that slave or that servant, right? And so inevitably, if a slave actually had two owners, they would have one that they were, was their favorite and one that they didn't like as much. And so their heart would be divided. Now, in reality, that didn't exist in slavery. Almost never. A few rare cases, we have some literary evidence that it was a thing, but not normally, right? But Jesus is saying, you know what? Actually, for most of us, we struggle with trying to serve two masters at the same time. We sing songs about how much we love Jesus, about the goodness of Jesus, right? And we talk about the fact that we're followers of Jesus. But then at the same time, we're living our lives serving a different God, the God of money. You might remember some older English translations. You cannot serve both God and mammon, right? Mammon just means money, so the CSB is good here on money. But sometimes it's like, you know, we might think of money as a deity, and we've made it into a God that we worship and serve, that we think is going to satisfy us and meet our needs. Jesus says, you can't have it both ways. You can't serve the master God and the master of money. You have to choose. And this is such a powerful picture because as Jesus is talking about this, yeah, where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. He's working us, working us through the issues. But then he just point blank says, okay, which one are you going to serve? Like, sign up right now. Like, which way are you going to go? Are you going to go with God or are you going to go with money? It's a confrontational image, and it confronts us with the issue of worship. When we get to the last part of verse 24 there, where he says you cannot serve with God and money, that verb serve is beautifully ambiguous. Because while it can mean serve as in a servant or a slave, in many places in the Bible it's used to refer to worship. It can take a worship connotation. And Jesus, I think, just winks at us here with this verb. He says, you can't worship both God and money. You can't spend your days having your primary allegiance be to both God and money. So hear, hear me clearly. Jesus is not saying it's sinful to have money or to be wealthy. Money and possessions aren't the problem. It's the attitude toward our money and possessions that's the problem. That's where the battleground is. And so Jesus confronts us here and he says, just recognize that greed is a worship problem. If you're struggling here, the issue is not how much is in your account. The issue is what's your perspective on, on your finances with regard to how they relate to God. Is this a worship issue for you? And it must be a worship issue for us. You know, when we read the rest of the Gospels, we read about Jesus and his ministry. Um, I don't know if you ever noticed this. Jesus didn't have a private jet. Private chariot, excuse me. He, he didn't have that. In fact, when Jesus sends out the disciples in their two-by-two two missions trip, he gives them a super huge missions trip budget of zero dollars. <laughs> zero shekels, forgive me, yeah. I mean, it, it's like th this, these are not, this is not, his ministry is not oriented towards finances in basically any way. Now, they did have resources as followers of Jesus. You remember famously Judas 
was like the treasurer in some sense for the disciples. So they did have some financial comings and goings. But the fact is, on the whole, it wasn't about the money. Jesus didn't come to make money. His church doesn't exist as a for-profit institution. We don't exist to make money. And guess what? Followers of Jesus don't live only to make money. You live to glorify God. You live to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. And part of that means using your money and your possessions for his glory. It's a radically different way of thinking. And at its heart, it's a worship issue. Do I value God more than money? Do I value God more than what this possession will buy me? With others, as they change their opinion of me, will I value God more than fill in that blank? My friend Martin Lloyd-Jones told the story. He got it, I think, from another preacher about a farmer who had a very excellent cow. Uh, okay, it was a, a red heifer cow. He had this really excellent cow. And one day this farmer comes running into the farmhouse to his wife and he says, you won't believe it. You won't believe it. What's just happened? The cow has had twin calves one red and one white. And I mean, this is an amazing blessing. It's like a doubling of their ability to do business and make profits, right? And all of that. And so he's just telling his wife, oh, this is so amazing. And his wife says, wow, that is amazing. He says, you know what? I think, I think we should dedicate one of our calves to the Lord. And she says, you're right. It's an unexpected blessing and we should prioritize financially. Let's dedicate one of the calves to the Lord. There's a red and a white one. She says, which one? The husband says, well, we don't have to decide that now. We'll decide that later, you know. And, and, you know, so when the time comes, we'll take care of it. But we're going to dedicate one to the Lord. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Off they go, right? Well, a few months later, as sometimes happens, unfortunately, the red calf died. And so the farmer comes in, very sad, into the farmhouse. He comes in and he says to his wife, I've got bad news. The Lord's calf died today. <laughs> and, and the wife, I don't know you wives know, the wife said, hmm, really? <laughs> Which one was the Lord's? I thought we had decided. He said, oh, no, no. I had decided. I had decided uh, weeks ago, and it's the Lord's calf that died. Lloyd-Jones said, it's always the Lord's calf that dies. When we worship money, it's always the Lord's calf that dies. It's always me first, his kingdom second. Greed is a worship problem. And you might just ask the question, what is it for you? For you, it may not be the bank account balance. It might be the investment. For you, it may not be the investment. It might be the fashion trend or the technology or the latest whatever. But we have to ask the question, where am I tempted to love stuff or money more than God and his kingdom? Because at the end of the day, kingdom citizens invest in eternity. And we can't do that if we're only investing in ourselves. In John Milton's classic, Paradise Lost, he describes a demon named Mammon. Listen to how he describes this demon. Remember, a fallen angel, but he says, even in heaven, his looks and thoughts were always downward bent, admiring more the riches of heaven's pavement, trodden gold, than divine or holy beauty. Milton envisions this 
angel who has fallen and this angel having access to God and his glory in heaven and the beautiful, the beautiful, eternally beautiful vision of God and his infinite goodness. And yet there in heaven, he envisions this fallen angel mammon. Instead of looking at God's glory and his beauty and being captivated by that, the angel's looking down in heaven all the time, admiring those streets of gold, obsessed with the streets of gold, wanting only more wealth, more power to himself, right? More greed, all the while missing out on what actually satisfies. It's a tragic image that Milton paints, but he paints it accurately. Because brothers and sisters, I fear that for some of us, arriving in heaven, we would be more excited about the streets of gold than the king who paved them. We'd be more excited about being rich than seeing the one who has eternal riches of glory. And frankly, we'd be happy to be in heaven if we could have all the stuff we wanted, whether or not Jesus was there. There is a danger, a a very real, daily, ever-present danger for us that we will love money and possessions more than Jesus. And the remarkable truth is that when we put our faith in him and when we become followers of his, We will experience eternal riches. You will be satisfied forever. And come back next week and we'll see how our needs will be met. But if we're his kingdom citizens today, right now on this earth, as we have treasures, some of us many, some of us fewer, we invest those treasures in his kingdom cause. That's the best way we can use what we've been given for his glory. So would you please pray with me and we'll ask God to help us Invest our money wisely. Lord, we pause again this morning and we thank you for these verses here in Matthew chapter 6, confronting us, teaching us about our attitude towards money and possessions. And Lord, we pray that you would help us not to store up treasures on earth. Lord, we pray that you would help us to store up treasures in heaven and to understand what that means. That that powerful image, Lord, that we would value your kingdom work above all else. Lord, we thank you for the money that you have given us and the possessions that we have, the homes that we have, the jobs that we have. Lord, the the ability to go to school and, and learn and get degrees. Lord, we thank you for those blessings. Lord, we pray that we would not turn those blessings into gods, that we would not make of them idols to worship. Lord, help us to steward well what you have given us. Lord, help us to to make good decisions. Yes, to pay our bills and to meet those financial needs that we have, to set aside savings for what's coming in the future. But Lord, protect us from greed, from miserly stinginess, Lord, from self-centeredness with our money. Lord, help us to see that when we're kingdom-minded and we're using our resources for your glory, that we're always using what you've given us wisely. Lord, protect us from the lie that we need more. We've got to have more to be happy and to be content. Lord, help us to ultimately see that the only place we can find satisfaction is in you, that your glory is enough, and that the riches we have in Christ will will satisfy us for eternity. And therefore, it's worth it. It's worth it to say no to earthly treasures and to have a heavenly mindset. Lord, give us wisdom as we seek to apply this passage practically. Help us as families, as individuals, as we think through these matters to make those decisions. And Lord, I pray especially for those who are here today who know they need to make a change in their attitude toward money and how they're using it. And I pray that you would bless them in that. 
that you would lead them by your spirit in that. Lord, we thank you that we never have to fear poverty because you do provide for our needs and you have provided for us ultimately in Jesus and that our value is fixed because of the blood that he shed for us. We thank you that we have worth in Christ. We don't need to find it in our bank accounts. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.